Welcome to the World of Horror Foundations podcast. I'm Mom, aka Christina, and this is the podcast where I take a tour of classic international horror. On the main pod, Mac and I choose a genre or subgenre of horror and pair an international film with an American one. With these minis, I want to fill in the gaps of my own knowledge and find those foundational films that have influenced and inspired modern horror. The only rules for this project is that the movie has to have been made before the year 2000, and it must not have been made in the U.S. The topic for today is 10 Rillington Place. As I do, I'm going to spoil at least the first third of this thing. So if you haven't seen the film and would like to, go do that and then come back and listen to this up. This film was not on my radar at all but I must have seen it on a list and then put it on one of my lists because when I saw that it was streaming for free, I think on Prime, I thought I'd just start it up and see if it hooked me. And it did. And I kind of haven't been able to shake it over the last couple of days. I'm not sure if I want to watch it ever again, but I'm really glad that I did. It definitely left a mark on my psyche. This movie is a fictionalized account of English serial killer John Christie, who committed several murders at 10 Rillington Place in London. The plot also involves the tragic fate of his neighbor, Timothy Evans. I wanted to mention a couple of podcasts that I checked out in advance of this recording. Film Gold with host Anthony was amazing. First of all, he had Jonathan Oates on as his guest, and Jonathan Oates is the author of John Christie of Rillington Place, colon, Biography of a Serial Killer, and the two of them did un, what do you call that, unofficial audio commentary as they watched the movie. So, you know, I was in my studio, I just could visualize the movie again as they talked about it, and they filled in a lot of factual stuff that I might touch on, but I am in no means an expert in the film, much less any of the stuff surrounding John Christie. But this biographer um, had a lot to say about how he was portrayed in the movie, how Evans was portrayed, and various facts about their lives. There was another podcast I listened to called Square Mile of Murder with Taylor and Kat, that was useful, and also Mens Rea with host Sinead. Ten Rillington Place was directed by Richard Fleischer. The screenplay was by Clive Exton, and it was based on a book called Ten Rillington Place by Ludovic Kennedy. It stars Richard Attenborough, Judy Geeson, John Hurt, and Pat Haywood. It was released the 29th of January, 1971, and it has a running time of 111 minutes. John Christie was described as suffering from hypochondria and sexual dysfunction, unless he engaged in violent sex with sex workers. He was also prone to lying and exaggerating his accomplishments. And that is a trait that he actually shared with the other main player in the story, Timothy Evans. Attenborough as Christie seems to be a fairly normal guy. He's bald, he wears glasses, and... He's always offering you a cup of tea. He speaks almost in voce. He looks to be the very definition of harmless, 
but early on we see him kill his neighbor, Muriel Edie. Christy has gotten her into his place on the pretext of having a remedy that can relieve her bronchitis. He administers carbon monoxide vapors to her through a makeshift gas mask. He asks her if she feels dizzy, and, and when she says she does, he tells her, well, that's just the goodness taking effect. I think that's when I was hooked because he's like a fatherly figure or at least an avuncular figure who seems, he says he has this medical knowledge and he has curatives that should work when the doctor's prescriptions haven't worked. And, you know, he gives you that tea (laughs) and he just seems very trustworthy but that line, um, well, that's the goodness taking effect. I don't know. That, that really, really stuck with me. As Muriel screams in terror before she passes out, Christy stares at her intensely before feeling her up, laying her on the floor, and then strangling her with rope. His breathing is ragged as he keeps whispering her name. The scene shifts to him digging her grave in his backyard. Well, not really his backyard, because he was just a tenant in this building. I didn't know that. I thought he might have been the landlord, but the guys on the film gold pointed out that, no, he's just another tenant, but he sorts of sort of inserts himself and sort of assumes these authoritative postures, and people bought it. The two murders that we see on screen involve the same MO of gassing his victims until they become subdued enough for him to strangle them to death. He apparently raped his victims too, and it's not its not definitive when the rape took place. I don't know how it could be definitive. He is on the murder, Murderpedia page listed as having an interest in necrophilia. It's not portrayed in this movie at all. They are out. They are passed out before he begins his rape of them. But it's not it's not depicted that he's raping their corpses. Tim and Beryl Evans move into Rillington Place with their young daughter Geraldine. She's about hmm, I don't know, 13 months old. She can stand up in her crib, but that's about it. From that point on, we witness the tragic interweaving of their fates. The fates of Tim and Beryl and Christy. Tim brags that he has money, a wonderful job, etc. But in reality, Tim and Beryl are barely scraping by. She reveals that she is pregnant and that she intends to seek an abortion, which of course was illegal at the time. And Tim is a pretty hardcore Catholic, so he's really resistant to this plan. But Tim is not only a liar, he is a hard drinker and he cannot read. Christy stokes the fire of the already tense relationship between Beryl and Tim. He sort of pits them against each other. The young couple fight frequently and loudly to the point where the police are called to intervene. Christy convinces Beryl that he has skills and expertise to perform an abortion. Tim reluctantly agrees to it, though, I mean, I don't think it would have mattered one way or the other. Christy tells him that, of course, it will have to be a secret. And he also tells him that one in 10 women do not survive the procedure. And so he plants the seed, I guess, in Tim's head 
The scene where Beryl dies is, I I think it's the one that wrecked me forever. After Christy packs his medical bag with his gas machine and rope and starts up the stairs to Beryl, two builders come by to work on the washing house in the backyard. It's like they don't have indoor plumbing, I guess, and everyone has this uses this communal bathroom. And these guys come by to to look at it, fix it. In the real case... The fact that the builders were there seemed to suggest that Evans might have been the killer. In the movie, it's Christy, but that seems odd that he would do that with these builders on the premises. I mean, like right outside the window. It also seems pretty hard to believe, though, that there might, there would be two murderers in the same building. But according to this movie, Christy convinces Beryl that his CO2 contraption is perfectly safe. He tended to soldiers in World War I who had needed urgent surgery. Oh, I guess she's like 18. I mean, she's compliant. I guess that's that's the word for her. She has a little bit of spirit in her. But in this case, she's terrified of the procedure. And she lies down on the floor, flat on her back. He tells her that she is a good girl. He tells her that the gas he's going to give her is like the gas she's had at the dentist's. And he keeps telling her to breathe. As she realizes his true intentions, she begins to scream. And he punches her, saying to her, don't make me hurt you. He punches her so hard it knocks her out. <sighs> you guys. He flops down onto her and kisses her with these loud, sloppy kisses. It's, oh man, it's a lot and pretty difficult. And he's interrupted, though, when he's strangling Beryl with the rope when Beryl's friend stops by. But he pushes against the door. She just thinks that Beryl is ignoring her. So she leaves. At about minute 50, we see Christy, flushed and sweaty, staring menacingly at Tim and Beryl's daughter, Geraldine, who's standing up in her crib crying for her mom. So the movie shifts at this point to Tim. So he comes home half in the bag and Christy tells him that Beryl didn't make it. And he convinces Tim not to go to the police because they would surely think he killed her. I mean, after all, the whole neighborhood knew about their violent fights. Evans is completely intellectually outmatched by Christy. Of course, he's in shock and, you know, he's, he's dealing with his grief, but Christy tells him that he will find care for Geraldine, but that Tim should leave town for a bit. And he does, kind of ridiculously. This guy is very dim. Tim goes back to his hometown in Wales, which I will not uh, venture to try to pronounce, in a fog of grief and confusion. But he defaults to his storytelling mode when he meets up with his aunt and uncle. There are... Just so many staggering scenes. So when Tim is taken into custody, he is led into a room where the clothes of his dead wife and baby are lying on the table. Christy becomes the major witness for the prosecution. Tim testifies and seems to incriminate himself, and he's found guilty of Beryl's murder. The medical examination board, I guess they had to see if he was fit to be hanged, and they decide that he is. He keeps contending that Christy done it, keeps saying that over and over. And they, the medical guys ask him 
you know, what possible motive would Christy have for killing the baby? And Tim half says, half asks the question to be out of the way, wasn't it? And that sealed his fate. I don't know if that was in reality, but in the movie, it seals his fate for sure. And young John Hurt. I always associate John Hurt with Winston Smith in 1984. And it's so cool to see him as such a young man, but his face, his little freckled face is so smooth and open and he looks innocent and dumb. And um, it just kind of hurts to watch him because it's just inevitable that he's going to hang. And the thing that really got to me is that Christie was a pretty terrible criminal before he became a serial killer. His crimes are revealed in the film when he's cross-examined. And for a moment, we think maybe that there's a reasonable doubt, but there isn't. I mean, the picture, if you put the two men, you know, side by side, you know, Christy looks respectable and, you know, Tim, he, he can't defend himself because he doesn't, I guess, have enough creativity to defend himself. So he's just answering purely from his heart. And it's, it's not, but they, you know, they've already decided that he's, he's guilty. But one of the guys who press examines him, you know, is asking about all these crimes that he committed. I mean, it was like petty theft. There was some assault and he was imprisoned, you know, for, for several of these offenses, but it's been 17 years since he was in jail. So I guess the implication is, you know, he's not that same person anymore, but he's not that same person anymore because he's moved from petty crime to having violent sex with sex workers to murdering people. And the pathetic downfall of Christie is also pretty painful. You think it might be satisfying, but it wasn't for me. Anyway, Wilho's get in touch after he kills his wife. In the movie, it's because she was going to leave him, apparently, in the real case. Maybe he just wanted her money. He's selling off furniture that isn't even his. Um, he can't work because he has a back injury, and but he's slowly running out of money, and he eventually becomes unhoused. The bodies of three women are discovered to be in the walls of the tenement, and Ethel, his wife, her body is found beneath the floorboards. Christy confessed to all of the murders except that of Geraldine, the baby. And in file under thanks for nothing, Timothy Evans was pardoned for his crime and his remains were moved off the prison grounds to an actual cemetery. couple of production notes. Only Richard Attenborough filmed inside number 10. Uh, interior sets were used at Shepperton Studios in London. And I guess there's like no trace of this place anymore. Attenborough, who played Christie in the film, spoke of his reluctance to accept the role. I do not like playing the part, but I accepted it at once without seeing the script. I have never felt so totally involved in any part as this. It is a most devastating statement on capital punishment. Indeed, it is. And several sources said that the wrongful hanging of Timothy Evans prompted the UK to abolish capital punishment. The film depicts only a few of the murders attributed to John Christie. He is known to have killed at least eight people between 1943 and 1953. 
some biographers suggest his involvement in additional killings. The film does not depict John Christie's trial. He pleaded insanity and tried to convince the jury that he was not responsible for his actions. A prison doctor instead convinced the jury that Christie had a, quote, hysterical personality. Oh, man, this one. According to commentary by Sir John Hurt on the DVD, real-life retired executioner Albert Pierre Point was technical advisor for the execution scene, as it was Pierre Point himself who executed Evans, and then, three years later, Christie. This scene was the first British people had seen in a cinema of a British hanging, and as it was still covered under the government's Official Secrets Act, no details regarding the scene were available. This is where Pierre Point came in under an assumed name and was able to recreate the harrowing scene to maximize the true terror of what it must have been like. Pierre Point's swift method meant that from the moment he entered the condemned prisoner's cell to the moment he pulled the trapdoor lever was never more than 12 seconds in length. Briefly, what does Letterboxd have to say about it? Well, Mark Cunliffe said there aren't, he gave it five stars. There aren't enough stars in the rating system to do justice to how brilliant this film is. A disturbing true life tale. It grabs a hold of you and simply does not let go remaining in your memory for long after. I mean, I'm with you, Mark. Colin, the dude, also gave it five stars. One of the great acting clinics and unsung masterpieces of the 70s. Attenborough, hurt, genius. Elliot Williams, though, gave it a half star. What a fucking miserable experience. And I will say, uh, if you're not in a good place, you might not want to put this one on but because it's real heavy and there isn't any i mean there it's bleak it's bleak and it's grim and um i loved it thomas coates gave it a half star too creepy and morbid for me also too much yelling and screaming babies okay there was one baby but she did cry a lot two and a half stars by jay Jay Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski. I grew up in Wisconsin. You'd think I'd be able to read that name. (laughs) Just said British people. (laughs) Jay, to which I counter people. (laughs) I I don't think they have any corner on the market in being particularly (laughs) horrible. That was his review. Or her review. I don't know who Jay is. Whoa, thanks for tuning into this mini. I am really having fun with this series, and I hope you are too. I don't know what's coming up because I had a whole plan and sort of flown out the window, but I think what I would like to do next is Queen of Black Magic from, from 85, maybe? They remade it. I haven't watched the remake. And Black Cat. So you got the Black Magic and the Black Cat. These are little games I play with myself. I was just blown away by Current Echo. I watched it like three times. So um, that's probably the one that's coming up next. Whoa's. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. It means the world of horror to us truly. I do know that very soon, Mac and I on the main episode will be covering Creepy Kids with The Orphan from the U.S. and Goodnight Mommy from Germany. And, you know, just send me good vibes because I almost wasn't able to get all the way through that one the first time. 
But get in touch, please, and let me know how you feel about this series and if you have any suggestions for these minis or for the main show. Remember, we love you. And don't go into the basement. <laughs>